Welcome to the Gate Crashers Podcast, where we storm the gates of publishing and dare to talk about the realities of the industry. I'm your Ivory Tower representative, Amanda Liedeke, literary agent and vice president at McGregor and Liedeke. And I'm your self-publishing insider, Carice Crow, novelist and speaker. It's the summer, which means that we are taking a break here at the Gate Crashers Podcast. And instead of offering weekly episodes, we are going to be offering you a handful of interviews that we will air here and there throughout the summer. These are interviews with industry professionals and authors who share their stories and their insight. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this summer interview. Elisa Sapphire is an agent with McGregor and Liedeke and the owner of Another Read Through, a neighborhood bookstore in Portland, Oregon. The store is currently online only with hopes to reopen a brick and mortar location soon. Uh, but in the meantime, Elisa is also co-founder of Amplify Writers, a nonprofit seeking to give free or low cost career development and support to underrepresented and marginalized writers in publishing. But today we are going to focus on Elisa's experience with bookstores. I thought it would be fascinating to hear about book buying and book selling strategy from someone who's been at it for a while. So welcome to the Gate Crashers podcast, Lisa. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun to have you um, in this space. You and I have been working together for about a year now. And so it's fun to hear more about this like other side of your life that is the actual bookstore bookseller side side that was it's been very prominent in my life for a while now so so tell me about that journey like give me like a brief history of what led up to you starting your own store and how that's been going i think my story is probably the same as most bookstore owners i always wanted to have a bookstore <laughs> ever mm -hmm. since i was a little kid i was books were the thing that um you know, it was, they were my, they were my safe place. They were my fun place. They were my escape and they were my place to learn about people. I'm, I'm shy and an introvert, but you get to learn about all kinds of people if I'm, if I'm in a book um, and right. I have to actually talk to them. <laughs> and so, you know, books were always my thing. Um, the library was my very first job at 14. And I just always thought I'd one day have a bookstore. I always wanted one. I imagined it would be when I retired. I don't know. I had this idea that it was like some like easy cush job, <laughs> which is ridiculous. <laughs> Anyone who does it knows it is a lot of work and it is hard. Um, the price points are pretty, or the margins are slim. <laughs> very, very slim. Yeah, you don't do it to get rich, that's for sure. Same <laughs> as I'm sure authors feel the same way. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, and so I, I always knew I would do it or always wanted to do it. And I, uh, I, I had a job that was sort of soul sucking for a while mm -hmm. and um, it felt really important, but I just, I couldn't keep doing it. And I thought I need to do something that, that I was like filling me. Yeah. And it was also at the time when, what's the Mark Twain phrase? Um, the reports of, of bookstores deaths were, were uh, overhyped. I can't remember the exact phrase, but mm -hmm. so I felt like if I'm going to do this, maybe I need to, to do it sooner rather than later. And so um, I went into it with no understanding of the industry or the business. I have never done any business stuff. So it was maybe not 
the best way to <laughs> launch a business, maybe not recommended, um, but you know, did it with passion and uh, that sustained me for a while anyway, <laughs> before yeah. I learned what I was doing. And it was, um, it's a used bookstore, right? Yes, That's, primarily used. Um, yeah. And this is already me going off our prearranged questions, but how, like, what was, how did you learn? Like, how did you gauge your, these are the books that I buy to resell versus this product isn't moving at all. Did you end up with a system and what, like, how did that, or was it all just like by the seat of your pants? <laughs> it was all by the seat of my pants. Absolutely. Oh, mm -hmm. And, and I, I'm not good at, at the, um, these books aren't selling, so they should, they should leave thing. Um, I go through phases where I can call, but I love them too much, even though yeah. like they're not selling, I feel like somebody's going to love these, but, but the truth is, you know, if a book stays on a shelf for, for very long, it's taking up real estate that, that it's not, it's not paying for. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, yeah. So to answer your first question about what books to bring in versus it's actually a really hard question because just because a book is really good doesn't mean that it's going to sell or uh, it will sell in your store or um and so there there are a lot of books that that i would want to bring in that i feel like i should i should have or that i should be able to sell but that that i knew that the people who were coming into my store weren't interested in hmm. um you know I, I when i opened the store i i opened um in a building that was right by a major um, commuter commuter train stop, one of the bigger, busiest ones in Portland. And I was there for a, about a year and a half until I moved to a location that I really had wanted to be in from the beginning, which was in a more um, walker traffic area where people would come to a lot of little shops and restaurants and people would walk by. And so there was a lot of like lazy shopping happening, but it was mm -hmm. a really big destination place. It was a mile away, exactly a mile away. And the buying and the people who came into those different shops and what they wanted was almost entirely different. Wow. And it probably the most fascinating part of bookselling for me is that is, is knowing like which store will be stocking what and why and what neighborhood wants what and why and how to, how to, um, you know, how to really cater to that specific clientele like just a mile difference. Right. And the number of people who wanted sci-fi fantasy was, you know, 15 fold more. Wow. And then I had to learn a lot more about sci-fi fantasy, which is not, not a genre that I know, knew a lot about. Um, but you have to be able to, to know what to bring in and to say like, this is a book that, that I, I like, but that isn't, isn't worth putting on the shelf. Interesting. So can you unpack that more? Who was, who was the clientele typically at the commuter location, what did they want versus who was that typical person at your, you know, lazy shopping location <laughs> and what did they want? Can you uh, explain us more about, explain to us more about those different demographics? Maybe. So, so I think that the people who came into to the shop when it was by the commuter location were people who were specifically seeking out a bookstore. They weren't just randomly walking by one and like, oh, I'll see what I can find here. They weren't looking for a treasure, which I think is is the joy of a used bookstore, I think is, right. is stumbling on something, not looking for something specific. Um, but because they were seeking out a bookstore, they were looking for something specific a lot of the time. And so they wanted um, the, the, the most popular fiction 
um, like the genre fiction, not, not your literary fiction, which mm -hmm. is what people wanted in the other location. Um, and they wanted uh, like your, what you hear on the interviews on, on the radio stations of, you know, NPR, PBS, and people are interviewing an author about a book. Like they want to come in for that um, because they just heard about it. They were looking for more specific things. Yeah. Interesting. And so then the lazy shopper, which, so those, you said the, um, so the, the second location, you said that was more of a destination location, right? So people would travel to hang out in that area and to do shopping. So I, it's interesting to me then that that was a rise in science fiction. That surprises me. Yeah. So it was, it was a rise in, in science fiction, in literary fiction, in, in queer fiction and queer books in general, that partly could be the street I was on. Um, it was a, there was a lot of queer activity on the street, um, but like it was it was a more highbrow highbrow reading, um, and people would just sort of wander in, but they weren't looking for you know like James Patterson or can I say that they weren't they weren't looking yeah. for um, you know a lot of the a lot of a lot of the booksellers um, give a lot of space in their store to people writing, you know, um, really general fiction like James Patterson and John Grisham. And yeah, um, I don't know that I sold one book by authors like that in in the years I was there. You know, I it, it wasn't worth taking up any real estate with your, your really general fiction authors that you could find their books at you know at, at Target or at our grocery store here. Um, it was, they were looking for, they were looking for that treasure. They were looking for that thing that they can't find somewhere else. And that, yeah. Um, yeah, that they would be surprised to stumble on or something that they're willing. The difference that I find also between a used bookstore and a new bookstore is someone's willing to take a risk in a used bookstore that they might not, um, yeah. it's full priced. And so they like, Oh, I, I feel like I've heard of this or this author sounds familiar or like, Oh, I've been meaning to give it a try, but I don't, know about this book but okay you know because it's it's a used book they are more willing to to give it a go uh-huh um how did you find so in the first store did you do much recommend uh, recommendation for people would they ask or did they you, you said they kind of came in knowing what they wanted but were you still able to recommend things to them? And how did that recommendation process change with the second store? The process doesn't really change. It was just, they're more open to it. I think when they don't come in with something specific, uh -huh. um, both of the stores were pretty small as well. And so, you know, sometimes I had what they were looking for, but often I didn't. And so the, the fun and the challenge um, of being a bookseller is saying, well, I don't have that book, yeah. but if that the book you wanted then this book that you've never heard of might actually be even better yeah <laughs> and that's always really fun and um that's the joy right is is book matching it's it's finding the right book for the right person at the right time mm -hmm. which is did, magic Absolute did magic. you do much nonfiction at either location mm -hmm. yeah so memoir is really huge um right now at least here in portland and um general nonfiction is harder just because uh it's like it's like art 
you have to have an enormous section in order to cover all uh-huh. of the possibilities. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so so that's the other thing about about book selling, right? Is that each store is going to decide what they want to share with the public, and so. Um, so I tried to have some nonfiction that was relevant, and um, I, I care. I I care about certain issues, and so those issues were represented on the shelves, um, and and that's what you get sometimes in a, in a bookstore is a reflection of of the mentality of um, the owner or the people who work there. Right, and then also I hearing too the like your need to sometimes have to flex, like when you're in the first location and realizing. I got to carry these John Grisham books, even though I'm not, they don't appeal to me that I would not read them, but I mean, that's how you got to make your money too. So absolutely, sounds like the second location ended up being a great fit for you. It was like that perfect match of what you want to sell for the most part, and then being able to actually make some money on that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a really great spot. It was fun. It was a fun, fun place to be. And, and, you know, there's so much to, there's so much to learn too with, um, you know, when I, when I first opened the store, I, I only sold used books. That was it. And then, then I slowly added, um, I started to learn that Portland has a, a crazy number of really talented authors. And, um, I hadn't really known that I knew of a few, but there were so many and, and, um, you know, an author's ultimate here in Portland is to read at Powell's. Well, Powell's doesn't, allow just anybody to, <laughs> to read. Um, and so then you have your second tier bookstores where people might, you know, read a Broadway books or um, other stores like that. And in my store, I, I sort of turned it into an emerging author location where, you know, you don't, you're new at this as an author and you don't know really maybe how to give a good reading or you don't have a really big following. And so, um, you know, you're not going to be invited into a store if you're only going to bring three, three people. Mm-hmm. And so I became a place for authors to, I like to think of it as launching, as launching their careers. And so I ended up having this really robust, robust local author shelf. I was kind of, I was known for my, um, my LGBTQ shelf and my local author shelf. And I, by the end, I was, I was working with, uh, like 400 local authors, um, and selling their books. And yeah, it was amazing. And meeting so many people and hearing their stories. And it, that was, that was probably the biggest joy for me. And and, and I, having, having the location, the second location be a spot where people would actually walk through some of these authors were getting their books sold. And it was, it was really exciting. I think a lot, I think I know a lot of authors (laughs) who they just assume, well, that's a bookstore, so I should have my book in it. And there really isn't much consideration into what's the location of that store? What's the clientele? Is my book even a fit for mm-hmm. the people who are going through those doors? And there is so much more, to, as you are unpacking here, there's so much more to it than just, I want to get my book into bookstores. No, we need to get books into the right bookstores for those books. Exactly. It's bookstores who say no to authors request to have their book on the shelf, either either on consignment or if if, they, if the author wants the, the bookstore to buy it outright from a distributor or a publisher. 
um, hearing, hearing a no, I'm sure feels like a really a personal statement, but it's, it's not, you know, it's, there's so many books that bookstores are saying no to. Yeah. Um, bookstores are saying no to most books. <laughs> there's just not room for all the books, you know, even, even big stores don't have space for all the books. And, and if, and this isn't just for like those genre stores where, you know, they only sell sci-fi fantasy or whatever. And so they're not going to put your mystery book on the shelf in general, people are looking for certain things and, and the bookstores know what their customers are generally looking for. And it's really weird and specific and, and probably no one else would be able to tell you what, what people are looking for besides those people. And so when they say no to a book, it's almost, you know, they haven't read it. (laughs) So, so it's not because your writing's bad. Like they don't know that your writing is good or bad. They know that the description you gave is not something that people are looking for when they come in into their store. And um, it's almost like, I feel like every step along the way, you know, an author is looking for the right agent. It's not just any agent, it's the agent that fits with that book. And then that agent is looking for the right editor, not just any editor, but the editor that will best sell that book and the right publisher. And all of it is the same thing. It's the right bookstore. It's not every bookstore is gonna sell every book. Hmm. So now like my wheels are turning, of course, as like we're talking about this. And I feel like a better approach for authors who want to get their books into a store is to approach a store and say, well, I mean, first of all, they can just go and research themselves. Like what's on the store shelves? What's what's near the front of the store? What's in the back of the store? That says a lot. And then just to even ask the question, like what typically sells well here? And if the bookseller is like, well, you know, we do a lot of this and this, but not this. And if yours isn't in the vein of what they do, well, then it's probably not worth anyone's time to try to convince them to start carrying your book. Right, right. You're not going to make a whole new section, a new, you know, a new, I don't know, witchcraft section just to to sell one one person's book. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, So in your opinion, and you've, well, first rewind. Let's talk then about the transition to selling online because you had your brick and mortar store and then you are now online focusing on doing that well. Um, what has been the difference in approach, if anything, or how it's, has it felt different? Different. It is completely different. It is, mm. they were polar opposites. They're different business models entirely. And I am not super comfortable with the online aspect. Um, I'm not a tech person. I'm not a computer person. I, the joy of book selling is that conversation where you end the conversation by handing a book to somebody. And that doesn't happen online. Um, Online it's, it's that, um, you know, someone knows what they want and they look it up and they click on it and that's it. There's no, there's no like, oh, but wait, wait, this one is, this is what you have to have. You, I know you would love this book. There's none of that. Um, And and there's, it's, you know, it's not as exciting in any, any way. It's not as, as fun. I don't think it's as fun for the shopper either. I mean, it's, you know, you get what you want in the end, if you click on, on the book, but there's no experience of, of talking books with people, which is, I mean, book people, book people like books. They want to talk about books and mm-hmm. you don't get to do that online. And so it's, it's been, um, yeah, not, not nearly as fun. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, that's spot on. Like, people who shop online, they know what they want. 
And I think of even the times that I've, I've felt like I was taking a risk on a book. It's still a book that either had been recommended to me multiple times or that I had received multiple advertisements for, or that it was never, it's never a random book that I've never heard about before. And suddenly I'm going to put it in my shopping cart. It's right. always something that I've still had multiple touch points on. So it feels like, oh, I don't know, may I, I'll take a chance on this one, but I'm way more familiar with it than I am with most other books. Right. It is not so. the same as going into a store and being handed this book and you're like, I've never heard of this book or this author or, but okay, I trust right. you. And, and, you know, you do, you develop that trust, you know, with customers who come back and all the time you'll get like, okay, last time I was here, you recommended these three books. They were amazing. Now, what should I read? <laughs> wow. It's like, like you build this, um, yeah, you build trust and it's, and then people are willing to take even bigger chances and, yeah. and like, oh, really never even read this genre before, but okay. And it's, it's fun exposing people to, to new kinds of reading. One thing that I really like to do with people, um, once you've established some trust or, you know, and you, and you can, even on a first interaction, you can sort of like see where someone's willing to go is like, you know, if someone is typically reading, like, um, you know, your, your more popular white guy book, um, like what, what might you be comfortable reading that's written by a woman or by mm. a person of color or like, oh, so you love this kind of fantasy. Let me tell you about, about N.K. Jemison, and um, just sort of chipping away at chipping away at the assumptions that people are making about who writes good books and what they should be reading. And then, you know, slipping what you can in and expanding their worlds while mm -hmm. helping out marginalized writers is like, that's like a really, that's a key for me too. I really like putting marginalized writers in people's hands who wouldn't maybe have read it before, but, but once with the discussion are willing to give it a try and then find that they really, really like it right but if you haven't had that discussion to start it off they would never ever give it a try right so online they're never going to buy that book right it's such a progression to take someone from the the idea that this is all that i like and i'm not going to connect well with anything else and to get them to try something you're right is a huge feat so that had to have felt so good when Love you it. had Love those it. moments <laughs> and then to have them realize like i think of um i'm just getting back into reading i haven't read for fun for many years for various reasons and so I know, it's, it's a sadness for sure and i read um i read mexican gothic and i'm mm. completely blanking on the author's name Yes, Sylvia Marina Garcia, right? Is that what you just said? Um, and it was everything I love in a book. And what was made it even better is it was set in a location that I've never been before. And not only never been, but never even heard about, you know, like I don't know all of the regions of Mexico. So it felt like it just was this great experience that was everything I love. It just was in this, fabulous location with um and even the culture wasn't that different like so all of these things that make people think well i'm not going to connect with this it's not necessarily true exactly exactly yeah and just being open to 
letting the author take you there, mm-hmm. letting the bookseller get you there is <laughs> great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's a joy. I mean, I, I know it always it sounds hyperbolic whenever I say it, but I, I say it anyway because I believe it. I believe that books save lives. I believe that they matter that much, and um, you know to to take a different journey to a different place with a book that you never would have picked up. It's, it's a profound thing. It can change a person. Absolutely. It at least makes your world bigger. Mm-hmm. Like at the very least, it gives you that glimpse into like, well, there's more to it than you probably know. Um, uh, so we've talked a lot about, you know, <laughs> the catering, how bookstores have to cater to who walks into their doors. But I'm curious your take on um, in your opinion, what does the average reader want out of a out of a book experience? And it may be there may be a multi-layered answer to this because I feel like those of us who deeply love books have a little bit different, you know, we want a different takeaway than someone who's like a more casual reader. Um but yeah, what are your thoughts? What do people want out of a book? I think that you're going to think my answer is cheating, <laughs> but I, I, I don't think there is an, av- there's an, I don't think there's an answer to that question that isn't taking the reader into account because there's not an average reader. You know, there's an average reader who, um, there's an average reader who reads a couple books a year who just wants some entertainment. There's an average reader who only reads a book on vacation who just wants to even further escape than what they're already doing. There's a there's an average reader who reads, you know, 10 books a month and who wants literary discussion with everyone that they encounter. So truly, truly readers are different. And so it's like when someone walks into the store and is like, <laughs> you get it all the time. Uh, hi, um, I'm looking for a good book. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's a shame. I filled my shelves with terrible books. <laughs> you know, it's like, what does that mean to you? It means something different to everybody. And some readers want plot. Some readers want twists and turns. Some readers don't care about plot at all if the writing's good. Some people want good characterization. Some people want questions of morality that make them really think and want to talk about with a book club or something. Um, and so truly, I it maybe feels like a cop out answer, but there isn't an average, um, an average reader or an or an average, like, like if someone says, "What's a good book for me to read?" I, I can answer that question, but you have to answer more questions first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what sort of things are you looking for? What sort of things do you like? What have you liked in the past? What haven't you liked in the past? what is good to you? Because when someone comes and it's like, what's the, what's the last good book you read? And then they want to buy it. I'm like, that makes me really uncomfortable because I don't, I don't know your reading habits. Like we might like really different things. Yeah. I think that's in line with just this whole discussion about, we like to approach books and the business as, you know, we like to think that our book can appeal to everyone. And we like to think that our book is a fit for every bookstore, but it is just so much more intricate than that and you can't write for everyone you can't write for every bookstore you have to write your thing and do it the best that you can do 
and recognize that sometimes there's a big market for it. Sometimes there's a small market for it. And mm -hmm. that's just the nature of the business. And this, this discussion is, has been a great reminder of that for me. Yeah. I always feel like, uh, and that rejection isn't, isn't like a personal, it's not a statement about you or your work. It's like, this isn't a good fit. And, and that's actually a a good thing to know. I mean, you don't want to be working with someone who isn't a good fit for your book. You don't want to be working with a publisher that that gets your book wrong or doesn't mm -hmm. understand your book in the right way. And um, and it's the same thing with a bookstore. You know, there are there are people who who will hand sell your book, and that's the store you want your your book to be in. Um, and and when a and when a customer doesn't buy your book that's also not necessarily a rejection of mm -hmm. of who your book is you know who you are who your what your book is um besides the fact that i forget this the data specifically but it's it's something like someone has to touch something like 12 times before they pull the trigger on it which is kind of astounding yeah <laughs> and so all the time you'd get people walk in the store who were like interested in something or asking specifically about something, or even will say like, oh, I've heard about this book. I've been really interested in it. And they pick it up and like, oh, that's even a really good price. And they put it back on the shelf and they don't buy it. It's amazing. And so, so one thing I always <laughs> told the authors I worked with was, and I really, really believe this, that all of it, every interaction, every time someone sees your book, every time someone sees your name or sees the title or sees your cover, it's all seed planting. Yeah. all of it, you know, eventually someone's going to buy it. Maybe yeah. it won't be from me, but something they'll see it again in a different store. They'll see it again somewhere else. And eventually they'll be like, I've been meaning to buy that. And then they do, maybe they don't read it, but they'll eventually buy it. <laughs> Buying is what really matters. <laughs> exchanging the money, exchanging hands is what matters. Um, I mean, that's such a good reminder to not, to be intentional about how we spend our marketing time too. Like we don't, what a waste to be putting all of your effort into marketing to the wrong person or the wrong, even the wrong region. I know like I've seen like sales reports about how certain books will just go wild in the South or on, in the West, on the West coast, or like just different regions of the United States, like knowing where your book fits, where, who your reader is and how to get in, get it in front of them. That's so much of the battle. And then you end up coming across those booksellers like yourself where, Oh, this is a perfect fit for you. And then, you know, You've got your little advocate pushing your book for you. <laughs> um, so I've had, this has been an, an amazing discussion on just the art and science of book selling. Um, so end of the episode, this is your chance to tell us what you're excited about and what you are, are interested in sharing with our listeners. So yeah, things that I'm, I'm excited about. So first with the store, I'll say that I'm, I've, I've relaunched, um, I have a thing called bibliotherapy, which is like getting a prescription for, for a book prescription for whatever ails you or whatever. Um, you that's might super thinking. fun. It's super fun. Yeah. Um, you know, so the, the thing, the thing about a bookstore, whether it's used or new is that you know, you can't guarantee something's going to be on the shelf. And so part of the fun of, and the challenge of, of book selling is when someone says, you know, this is what, what I'm looking for, how, what, give me a book I can read that would fit this category or this, this situation. You have to think to yourself, what are the best books for this scenario? 
and which ones do I have on the shelf? So you have to know your inventory and think like, okay, well, I know what book I really want to sell them, but I don't have that one, but oh, this one is a really good second runner up or whatever. Like (laughs) from what I have, what fits. But so with, with bibliotherapy, it's different because I'm just giving you a, a prescription of, of whatever the books really are that, that fit your, your scenario. And, um, so that's really fun. And you can find it on my website, which is anotherreadthrough.com. And then um, I'm also just really excited about launching this nonprofit, Amplify Writers. We, um, my co-founder and I got a grant to do research on what is lacking for career support and career development for people who don't have the same access that um, your straight white cis men um, do. And so where can we, where can we help marginalized writers really get started and continue as well? So entry level, and then um, as as they um, move further in their career, like how can we keep supporting uh, marginalized marginalized writers? And so we got a grant to do some research on um, on on what the writers themselves think because we don't want to make assumptions about about what's out there or what's lacking. And so uh, we put together a survey so that writers can let us know um, where they need additional support or where they already have support. Um, and so if you're a writer listening, you can take our survey. Uh, it's, it's amplifywriters.org and there's a button in the top that says survey and you can take that survey and help us develop um, programming that, that will help you. Mm. Really excited to get this started. I love that. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing that. And I hope, I hope there's some listeners out there who can take advantage of what you're offering because that I'd love I'd love that I'd love for there to be connections because of this episode that we're doing um so thank you so much Elisa thank you for your time and your wealth of knowledge it's been so good to talk about books with you I will talk about books with anyone for however long you want me to (laughs) (laughs) thank you for listening to the Gatecrashers podcast This has been one of our summer interviews. If you like what you hear, be sure to leave us a review, hit me up on Facebook on my agent page, and be back in a few weeks for a brand new episode.